Thank you for uh, for life in the church. Uh, it's just sweet to get together. It's sweet to have uh, Sunday mornings together. And I thank you for your kindness to us that we could share life together and know know you in the context of relationships. Um, we come to you, Lord. We thank you for this for this scripture and for the reliability of your Bible. Uh, we thank you, and you are always faithful. Come, O Lord, shepherd our own hearts from the scriptures, and may we find Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. We are endeavoring to get a a real Thessalonian soak going on as a church. So um, ladies, I'm kind of sliding back into announcements, but uh, May 5 at 8.30, ladies, you're gathering downstairs uh, for a, a study in First Thessalonians, that's May 5. And guys, on uh, May 12, you're gathering down there, down the library for a study in Thessalonians before church starts. So encourage you, we'll have some good study books. And so encourage you, we're going to, and then if we, if we don't figure it out before church, we'll figure it out during the sermon, okay? So uh, we're going to have a lot of good insights into this epistle that was really one of Paul's first epistles, Written, written in the early 50s A.D., uh, we, Paul first meets the uh, Thessalonians in the town of Thessalonica, which, is, which was part of Macedonia at the time. Modern, modern maps would have this in Greece. And in Acts chapter 7, the history book of the New Testament, Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul first preaches the gospel um, at synagogues there, uh, and the surprising thing is that there are there are Jewish conversions, but there are many many Gentile conversions uh, at the Thessalonican church. So, um, first of all, this is a book about gospel encouragement. Um, I don't know how you are doing today, but I think we all need encouragement. Um, encouragement has been dis- defined as giving struggling people eyes to see the unseen Christ. I love that definition. It is giving struggling people eyes to see the unseen Christ. Your faithfulness here in worship gives me a chance to see the unseen Christ in you, as it were, and you are encouraging me. I want you to really think about what's called the means of grace Today we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is a means of grace. This means that God blesses those who are participating in it. You are a means of grace for me. Your presence, your words, you are a means of grace for me. And I hope that I am a means of grace for you. And as you think about each other, Life in the church is that we are a means of grace for each other. This is really underestimated in our day. We're often thinking of church as something where I go and I watch, sing some songs, I attend. But beyond that, I'm not really looking for church to build me up or to impact me or even to build relationships. Relationships in the church are vital for us to experience the means of grace. So this path, this this epistle is all about gospel encouragement. The Apostle Paul planted this church, and then he follows up with not only visits, but with words, epistles, inspired text, 
about love for these young believers. Right out of the blocks, the Apostle Paul wants to encourage the, the Thessalonians. Would you take a look at verse, verse 2? We give thanks to God always for all of you. Look at that, all of you. Every single one of you. And then look what he does. The thanks is a prayer, mentioning you in our prayers. Now, what is the content of Paul's prayer? Look at verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father three things. Your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Paul is, out out of the starting blocks here, eager and passionate to encourage these folks. Notice those three things. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Pause right there. Three virtues, three character qualities, three things for us to explore. These are the content, these three aspects of of the, the character qualities, these make up Paul's prayer. He knows what to thank God for. Faith, love, and hope. Those three key ideas show up in our New Testament consistently. In verse 4, Paul then says that since he has seen these things in them, look at this, look at verse 4. We know that God has chosen you. Can you imagine that if Paul had planted this church and then he writes us a letter and then he reflects upon you, essentially by name, and then he reflects on three character qualities that are in you and then you have this written to you. Listen to verse 4. And we know that God has chosen you. Wow. That is really crazy. That's really, really special. And now how does he say that? He says because he has seen, as verse 4 unfolds, he's seen the power manifested in character. There's been a seismic shift in our culture uh, at least over the last hundred years, perhaps further back. It used to be that character was everything. There was a shift years ago, and the focus was upon a word that was almost unheard of years ago. The word is personality. It's very hard to find the word personality in the 1700s, I don't know if you read, read some book from that period of time. The word personality is actually just taking shape in the last hundred years or so. He has a really cool personality, or she has a neat personality. That character used to be everything. Now it is the impression that I give. It, now it is the initial sort of flash that I present myself, but character, which is badly needed, is actually not emphasized very much in our culture. And Paul wants the Thessalonians to know that they have escaped the gravitational pull, the gravitational pull of the old world dominated by the flesh. Beyond words, character has been formed in them. In in Christian circles, we use a lot of words, don't we? We have seminars, we have conferences. I, I, I put on seminars. I use lots of words. In fact, I, I, I use words as a, a way of making a living, I imagine. Words, right? 
Paul tells these the Thessalonians, our gospel came to you not only in word, verse 5, but also in power. Listen to that. Well, what is he saying about power? Is What's he referring to? Referring to the power of the character that was being revealed in the Thessalonians. The, the power of God was being revealed in the shape of the, char- of, of the Thessalonians' lives. And what Paul does is he wants to encourage these Thessalonians. So it's interesting to watch this passage as we're trying to look at the content of what Paul says to the Thessalonians, we also are watching Paul himself as the kind of person who says these kinds of things. So we're, we're watching, oh, that's what ministry looks like. Each of us, let's move out of the mode of the professional dispensing information. Let's move into the mode of, wait a minute, you mean I have a role, I have a role to speak this way to my spouse. I have a role to speak this way to my children. I have a role with others in the church to speak and say, you know, I see the grace of God in you because you're persevering in a hard situation. Encouragement is helping people see the unseen Christ. Another way of looking at encouragement, uh, Counselor Larry Crowd wrote a book called Encouragement, the Key to Caring a long time ago, and in there he says, you know what encouragement is? He says it is speaking to a fear, speaking to a fear that might be in someone's heart. In other words, like say someone is volunteering in the church and they don't really think it's that significant, and a church leader comes along and says, oh no, you're making a difference. You see, the person fears that they don't really have the skills or they don't, they're not really making a difference. And so to encourage someone is to speak to the fear that could be in their heart. Think about how that might unfold in your relationship with your spouse. Speaking to a fear they may have that they are not making a difference or they're not uh, holding up their part of the bargain or they're not doing enough or, they're, or, they're, or something, you can speak to that. Help them know what you see in them. People need to hear words of encouragement. People need to hear words. I don't know how many of you are thirsty today for just a word of relief that says, I matter, someone notices. You are, the Apostle Paul is essentially saying, you are exhibiting the priorities of the kingdom. In the context in which this happens, this is happening in a pagan culture, a polytheistic culture, where really when it comes to a multi-god view of the universe, what's happening is you never really can be sure of what the gods are thinking about you. So what do you do? Well, the only thing you really can do, you can't really control them, and by the way, they're really... They fly off the handle. They have anger, right? You know, the Greek gods and the Roman gods, they're kind of actually kind of scary because they're just, grow, they're just enlarged human beings who have problems in their godlike way. So what can you do? Well, what you do is you live in fear and don't forget one of them. So make sure you provide an offering down around the corner. Yeah, Zeus, his altar is around the corner there. Make sure you leave an offering there. 
You can't control the gods, but you certainly better not offend them. When Paul talks about the power of the gospel, he's talking about the power of the gospel to rid us of our shame, to rid the Thessalonians of their shame, the power of the gospel that they can know what the true God really believes and thinks about them, what the true God's stance toward them is, and it is complete grace all the time, and they are now living in the power of that. What does it look like? Paul says in verse 3, he says your He says, your work of faith. Look at the English standard, the work of faith. Another way of saying it is that your work produced by faith. If you love studying your Bible, there's an interesting thing that happens when the word work and faith are connected. There's a couple of places in the New Testament this happens. My favorite is Galatians 5, 6. Uh, Are we quoting it almost every other sermon, right? The The only thing that matters is Faith working through what? Through love. Interesting. Faith and work are almost always connected. Faith is a verb here. Faith, a labor of love, the English standard says. The NIV, interesting, your labor prompted by love. Uh, the ESV, when it moves to the next idea of your your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and then your steadfastness of hope. See, these are people being inspired by the grace of the gospel, and it is looking like faith, it's looking like love, and it's looking like hope. Now, if you want to carry something like, a, like, like on a three-by-five card throughout your day, what am I supposed to be exhibiting? What am I supposed to be doing with my Christian life? I'm supposed to be engaging the resources that are in the gospel, and what will it look like? It will look like work produced by faith. It will look like love that has labor to it, and it will look like hope that is also steadfast. Love has tasks. Faith has action. Love has tasks, faith has action, love has feet. And the grace that justifies, and we make a big deal about justification here, the the faith that justifies also sanctifies. Love is sincere and it is observable. Sincerity is a huge issue in our culture today. It is a huge issue. People feign sincerity. That's a word to mean fake. It's feign sincerity. But here, the Apostle Paul, having watched the Thessalonians, he sees that their love is sincere and it is observable. It's observable. They have become a community of believers willing to, by faith, engage in the hard work of relationships How how do we know this? Look at verse 3. The steadfastness of hope. Do you have an experience of people giving up on you? Uh, Those young adults, you use this language called ghosting. Don't respond to an email. Don't respond to a text. People are ghosted often today. Kind of a cruel thing, actually. 
steadfastness in relationships actually doesn't characterize our age. Endurance is not a word that we would often characterize relationships within the church. But these folks, the Thessalonians, have become a community of believers having turned away from idolatry and they are willing to, by faith, engage in the hard work of relationships because hope is functioning. They have hope for each other. So as they engage each other, as they engage each other, they're if you have hope in your relationships, it's not going to be likely that you're writing people off. If you have hope, if you have hope for me, and you'll, God's working, God's working. I have hope for Pastor Todd because God is working in him. I'm not going to give up on him because God hasn't given up on him, right? If I want to be lined up with the gospel, uh, God has not given up on this person, and so therefore my Steadfastness is like God's steadfastness. God stays with this person with all their quirkiness, with all their sinfulness, with all and, and this is this keeps us engaged, connected. Think with me what's become of their demand on others. Think about this. Think think with me how they are how their view of people is changing. Think with me how the role of people has changed. Think with me how big their view of God's mercy must have become. Think with me how big their view of God's steadfast love in Jesus must have, must have become. Think with me how powerful the gospel is in changing their view of loving people And think with me how their view of of what they want from people must change. To love means you are no longer figuring out the safe path to take. Do you sense that the gospel's power can provide this for you? To love means you are no longer focused on the immediate now of my needs. I... uh, have a side fascination uh, with counseling books for people who struggle with addiction. Um, even non-Christian books on how people have uh, beat addiction fascinate me. And there seems to be some closeness to, well, our experience with battling sin. Um, here's an individual who wrote a book. Uh, her name is Sarah Heppola, and the book is called Blackout. Listen to this subtitle, Remembering the Things I Drank to Forget. Uh, I won't give you the whole quote. The whole quote's really quite interesting. She says, Addiction was the inverse of honest work. It was everything right now. I drank away nervousness, And I drank away boredom. And I needed to build a new tolerance. So this is part of her recovery, right? Yes to discomfort. Hear that? Yes to discomfort. Yes to frustration. Yes to failure. 
because it meant I was getting stronger. I refused to be the person who only played games she could win. Wow. Now, that's just a... That's, that's, not, that's not from Thessalonians. But something's going on there. Particularly, addiction was the inverse of honest work. It was everything right now. There's, there's two ways of thinking about life. You, by God's grace, are in the best one. There's one way of thinking about life, and, that, and here's how it goes. It's every, everything's here. This moment, the imminent world, imminent world. There's the transcendent world and the imminent world. Idolatry is basically saying, this is it, pleasures, experiences. Idolatry is just bowing down to giving yourself over to experiences. And how do you want to experience those things? Now. I will not develop the character that will be patient with frustrations and failure. Think with me that if the word power is associated with the gospel, can you think with me? It means patience in our relationships. It means steadfastness in our relationships. If a person is dismissing others easily, if a person is writing other people off, they have not grasped the significance of the gospel for them. They do not understand the gospel. If they cannot bear with their brother or sister in the church, they simply don't understand the gospel. Now, we can have empathy with people like that because we forget the gospel every 20 minutes. So we can have empathy with people, but we need to be able to counsel people with the goodness of what God has done in them. The gospel is power. If Paul is saying that they've experienced power, what does it look like? It looks like faith, hope, and love. To love means you are no longer figuring out the safe path to take. The Thessalonians have really turned from the immediate impulse of finding their needs met. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you did by faith something that that you would not normally have done? Can I ask you this as a pastor? When was the last time you, by faith, did something you would not normally do. Now, I'm trying to figure out how we, how the gospel works at the level where we would say, yeah, that's happening. Yeah, that's happening. To the, to the point where we're almost not even that aware of it. When was the last time you did something by faith that you would not normally do? Hope happens in the moments of our lives. Faith is a verb in the moments of our lives. Love labors in the moments of our lives. One translation of of verse 3, listen to this. Your work that arises from your believing. Listen to that. Your work that arises from your believing. And your hard labor that comes from your love. And your endurance that comes from love hope. Again, verse 5 says this is power. Not just words, power. Scotty Smith, our friend, 
who's been here a couple times, he writes this about the gospel's power. I know I'm not as free as Jesus intends when I want pain relief more than a changed heart. I crave vindication more than reconciliation. I criticize quicker than I seek to understand. I remember slights, digs, barbs better than the gospel. There's a transition going on in Thessalonian life. Faith, hope, and love. Jesus is not an absentee landowner for the Thessalonians. He's present. His resources of grace are present. They've begun to surrender to the implications of God's grace. They've begun to surrender to the implications of God's grace. And this tells us about our communication with each other. God has spoken to you words of encouragement. God has spoken words to you. God has sought you out with words of grace. God has sought you out with words of comfort. Now, that is now to move in us and through us. The people around you need encouragement. They need their fears spoken to. Encouragement gives struggling people eyes to see the unseen Christ. That's what 1 Thessalonians is about. Let's pray. Our Father, this work of faith, this labor of love, and this steadfastness of hope. Oh, Father, could it be said of our relationships? Could it be said that we will hang in there with each other and we will grow with each other and abide and forbear? Father, thank you for shaping the gospel in our midst, for bringing us the gospel preached to us. And Father, thank you that you are patient and working. I praise you, Father, for these people who encourage me regularly. And Father, I pray that you will help all of us to take on the ministry of encouragement. Help us to be bold, O God. Help us to take on the role that you took on for us in Jesus. And help us to express our thanksgiving to you in obedience. And we ask, O God, that you will do these things for our joy and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.